Caribbean Cricket Podcast with me, David Oram. In this extra edition, which was recorded earlier this week, I was joined by the fabulous cricket geek, Peter Miller, to preview the Caribbean Premier League, which has since got underway on Wednesday. Just to say that since recording, the venue for the CPL final and the semi-final has been confirmed as being in St Kitts. Enjoy. Peter, greetings, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm quite looking forward to it. This will be the third third year where I've watched every single Caribbean Premier League game. So uh, there's, a, there's a commitment. So this year, <laughs> unfortunately, last year I watched the first week in St Lucia. Uh, and this year I'm watching the whole thing in my spare room. Which, it's, it's not as good, David. If I had a choice between my spare room and what this year was hopefully going to be the St Kitts, I choose St Kitts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be close run thing, but uh, such is life. Um, it does mean that I've been able to watch more of Glamorgan winning at 2020 this year. So, uh, but I would have had all, all things gone to plan, as I talked about six months ago. I would have already been on my way mm. to Kitts. Uh, I think the flight was going to be tomorrow, and I was going to be on the same plane as Dale Stain as he flew out there. Mm. But uh, unfortunately, what would have happened then, of course, was that Dale Stain would have turned left on the going into the plane, and I would have <laughs> headed right and kept on walking. Is it, it, have you got that the right way round? You know, is that Stain going into economy class? Was it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. You know. uh, well, last time, last time I went, I'm not sure I've ever said this on a podcast. But I don't know. Um, probably have. This is the kind of story I like telling people. Last time I went out there, I flew to St Lucia. Uh, no, the, not the last time I went out there. The last time I went out there for the tournament, I went to the draft in, in February. Mm. But the last time I went to the tournament, I flew on the same plane as KP. Um, and I went into, so I went up into business class and had a chat with Kevin and then walked back. And then I got there and they said, oh, there's no car to send to the, the other side of the island because um, you land pretty much in Castries and then you've got to get down to yeah. uh, the, or go up to the top of the island to uh, Beausajour, which is where the, the cricket stadium is. So I, um, I was like, oh, bloody hell, OK, fine. We need to get a taxi. And I'm like, no, no, it's fine. Um, there's space for you in Kevin's helicopter. As a fan of yours, Peter, I can tell you that you have used that story before because as somebody who's listened to, I think, all of the uh, Geek and Friends and, and Geek and Wild before that. I'm, not... I'm, sure, I'm sure you have done that before. I'm particularly surprised because that's a great story. <laughs> um, but yeah, so my, my first arrival of ever going to the Caribbean was when rocking up and having a having a ride with a helicopter in Kevin Peters, with, uh, in heavy, with Kevin Peterson, I should say. Yeah. But yeah, um, so, um, but no, I'm not going this year, but I am still looking forward to it. It should be good fun. This is, I, I really like the CPL. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I, 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 me, me too. Uh, I suspect that uh, uh, it's not going to be quite so easy for, for me in uh, in my spare room, in my uh, my little office here in Islamabad, because uh, ironically for somebody who covers with a passion West Indies cricket, um, the times are probably the worst for, uh, for, for, for covering it. Though thankfully, uh, among uh, the things for this year, Trinidad and Tobago, the Trinbago Night Riders, playing all their games starting at 9pm, as much as anything to catch the, uh, the 6am Indian audience. 
Well, of course, there's this big Indian connection, isn't there, now with the CPL? So we'll see, we'll see what happens with that. I think that it's going to be exciting to watch that connection happen. Hmm. I've spoken with Becky Mysore a couple of times now, hmm. uh, who is the guy that runs both the Kolkata and Trinbago version yeah. of the Night Riders, and he always has said he wants to have the lesser-known Indian players come into the CPL, which would be a huge boost hmm. to the tournament. Because as soon as you have Indian players, you have a lot more Indian interest. Mm. So we'll see. Um, we'll see what happens there. But he's a, he's a pretty switched-on guy. Um, it would be nice. What would be a big boost for the tournament with that connection is hopefully Shuru Khan will come for the mm. Florida version, the Florida leg of the tournament, which will be good. But yeah, no, it should be good. Um, I think uh, it's a nice tournament. It's succinct. It's got big players. Yeah. Hopefully the pitches play ball because there's still a couple of stadiums that have not great pitches um st lucia has a fantastic pitch st kitts has a really good pitch and barbados for this tri-series that's just happened has had some pitches that have played pretty well um my concern from a pitch point of view is that you've got you've had this tri-series that's happened where there's been 10 odis You've got the CPL starting, and then not long after that, you've got the Test series starting, yeah. and that's a lot of cricket to be played on these pitches. Yeah. And hopefully, they'll hold up. Yeah, yeah. As you mentioned, the uh, the Test series uh, against India, which is uh, overlapping. How do you feel about that? Is is that a, you know an unfortunate diversion? Um, yes, but I think well, okay, right. So we need to understand it from a cricket cricket politics point of view. Yeah. So. The West Indies Cricket Board aren't in the, on the best of terms with the Indians and the BCCI because they had the walk-off that happened in 2013 where they left the tour midway. And in theory, they still owe the West Indies Cricket Board, what, $45 million, which is more than their gross income for a year. Hmm. So in essence, the BCCI owns the West Indies Cricket Board. Yeah. <laughs> in its entirety so the, 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 the way that the cricket economy is set up at the moment and we'll see whether or not this changes with the ICC meeting that's happening in Edinburgh when that happens there's talk of the cricket rights being pulled together which makes things slightly different then in terms of the way things are spread about and cut up at the moment but at the moment the way a cricket board makes money is India tour yeah. and when India tour they can sell the cricket rights the, the TV rights for that tour back to India and that's how they survive so the Indians would have said, the Indians would have said, we can come in July 2016. And the West Indies Cricket Board would have said, fine. That would pretty much is how the conversation would have gone. So as much as they would, you know, as much as they would like it not to happen at the same time as the CPL, they, that's when the Indian cricket team is free. So that's when they'll come. Yeah. The other thing that you need to understand from the uh, way that the Caribbean cricket is set up is that... Uh, the CPL is an entirely separate entity from the West Indies Cricket Board. And I'm not sure if many people know that. So the way it works is that the CPL basically licensed for 50 years, which yep. is a long time. Isn't it? Um, they licensed for 50 years to have the right to stage the, the 2020 in the Caribbean that comes under the auspices of the West Indies Cricket Board. So the West Indies Cricket Board is run by Michael Moorhead and Richard Pybus. And then the CPL is run by two guys called Damien O'Donoghue and Pete Russell. So they're the two people that are in charge of it. Um, So Pete's English, Damien's Irish. They're impressive guys. They're nice guys. But 
again, they had their dates of when they were going to have the CPL and they wanted to have it from the last week of June until the first week of August. And then they, when the test series is, is completely out of their hands as well. So it's unfortunate from their, their point of view. There was news that came out, wasn't there, just recently, where there is going to be some involvement from the West Indies test players. Yeah. Um, for so I think uh, Jason Holder, Darren Bravo, Carlos Brathwaite, Devendra Vishu and Dinesh Ramdin yeah. are going to be able to play about 12, 13 days of the tournament, I think, Something before like they have to go and, so go and link up with the... Which is great. I mean, I think... You know, uh, not having Jason Holder playing in a tournament is will be the biggest loss. But Dinesh Randon has just scored a fantastic hundred in this tri series. Mm. So, yes, I agree. It is unfortunate to have it on at the same time, but uh, we've got to look at it at the prism of. I mean, if you look at it through the prism of English cricket, when was the last time English Test players were playing in the English domestic twenty twenty tournament? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we could we could divert into discussing that. Uh, I'd be a big fan of uh, them playing in that, but I think I'll uh, stick to my uh, Caribbean uh, uh, remit. It's interesting that um, there is there does seem to be with the start times this year. I alluded to it just now with the the, the later start times in Trinidad. In the first season of the, the CPL, they, they were mainly day-night matches and very successfully supported uh, by the locals. They then brought the matches forward and played a lot more early and afternoon games uh, in the second season. And that wasn't so well supported by the, the locals, but was seen on international telly. It seems to me this year, there seems to be a sort of like nice smattering. Somebody like myself, I've already booked in my diary when I'm not going to be getting up at 3am to, to watch games. But those games that do start at 9pm, and I can watch on and, and, and so on and so on. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got the advantage or disadvantage or whatever you want to say that I'm literally watching every game. Um, uh, so uh, I write in all of the match reports for the tournament right. and for their website and for their press releases. <clears throat> so um, I'm going to watch every single game and I've got them all in my diary, but there's a lot of them starting at 2am. There was an in- it's interesting in this one. So the first season they had, they had, it started, the game started at 6 to 8, 7 o'clock yeah. in the Caribbean. That's right. Um, and they were fantastic. Packed stadiums. Um, if you uh, imagine people that listen to your podcast are, fans of the Caribbean and hopefully lots of them have been to watch cricket in the Caribbean hmm. but the you know the party stand and you know there's people drinking rum <laughs> and there's people having you know jerk chicken and fried fish and all the wonderful things that come along with cricket in the Caribbean um, along with it it's it's reckless disregard for health and safety which is quite frightening when you're walking around <laughs> there's things you see there there's things you see there that you certainly wouldn't even see in a you certainly wouldn't see in an English cricket stadium I remember there was a guy that was on a, a, a camera platform and he needed to get higher on the camera platform so he had an unsecured ladder that he put on the camera platform and was climbing up to do something at the top of the stadium and I'm watching it going oh my god yeah. that's terrifying um, yeah. but anyway yeah that they wanted to bring games back to make them more watchable for a worldwide TV audience. So their thinking was, if we have games starting at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in the Caribbean, that would be 8 o'clock at night in the UK, which would be, what, midnight in India? Midnight, 1am, yeah, in India, yeah. So from that point of view, they were like, we just want to try and get more people watching it. The disadvantage that they had in that regard was that that then stopped people in the Caribbean being able to go because they've got jobs. They've, you know, there's, there's a, you know, they would be working until early evening and then go down to the cricket stadium. Whereas yeah. they couldn't do that if they started at three o'clock in the afternoon. And, 
And then all of a sudden you lose some of the appeal of the Caribbean uh, Premier League, which is watching people party in the stands. Yeah. So for, for three and four, well, this is four, isn't it? So for three, what they did was they moved back to having more times that are uh, based for the Caribbean. What they want to have is they want to have what the NBA has in America, bearing in mind it's on the same thing, is they've kind of got like wake up to the NBA breakfast shows, stuff mm-hmm. like that, which an American sports have been very successfully marketed in India and, and become quite successful. Not to the extent that cricket and football and hockey are, obviously, but they are getting there. There's people that are watching the NBA in the Indian subcontinent. So uh, they're trying to find a way to be able to make that connection because the way that the cricket world works is the way that, uh, as you know, as somebody who is uh, living in that part of the world, mm. the centre of cricket has moved from Lords <laughs> to uh, Bengaluru. Um, I think that's where the BCCI is based, isn't it? Well, it's somewhere in India, that's for sure, yes. Um, so, yeah, that was a really long and complicated and convoluted answer, wasn't it? <laughs> Hopefully that made a modicum of sense. No, it, yeah. it, so, it, it, makes, um, it makes sense, Peter, but um, with, within all of this, I, I think you're, you're trying to say that it's important that the, the CPL gets an international audience, but also that it keeps its Caribbean flavour. I mean, I will ask you, they're taking these games to America. I know that there's some people friend of uh, both of ours uh, who writes about the uh, Barbados Tridents, uh, Terry Bent uh, over there in Barbados. He's said several times, he's pointed out and it, uh, yeah, um, amazing insight that Florida is not actually in the Caribbean. Well, um, uh, he's, a, uh, he's a clever guy, Terry. Um, <laughs> also, you know, it's very difficult to get things past him. Um, I discovered this when I met him in Barbados in February. Switched on chat. Um, uh that was the scene of one of my greatest moments of me attempting to be a journalist. You know when the whole contract dispute was kicking off yeah. uh, in February um, about whether or not they went to the World T20? Yeah. I'm walking through this building absentmindedly um, trying not to gawp at the, the scantily clad dancing girl from the <laughs> particular event I was at. Because um, I'm not really a gawpy type of man, but it did, they were very striking to see them walking past the contact. Head turning, yes. Uh, and then Michael Moorhead, who of the West Indies cricket board walked past me at just at the point when I realised he was Michael Moorhead uh, Michael Muirhead sorry Muirhead yeah. um, he'd walked out of the building got in a car and driven away and I'm like well there was my opportunity to interview him uh, I've stuffed <laughs> that haven't I well done so then I'm trying to desperately phone him on the phone to ask him how far away he is and if I can come and meet him um, but I didn't ever get hold of him such is life um, yeah but um, uh, the thing is you need to think about you need to think about the Caribbean Premier League for what it is and it is a commercial venture it is a business that have decided to take on spreading cricket across yep. the Caribbean, and they're trying to make money out of it. Now, yep. that in itself is a good thing for the Caribbean. I know people don't want cricket to be a commercial venture, but it always has been that, and it always will be. So what they're attempting to do is they're attempting to make the advantages that they've got across the region, being as close as they are to, the, to America, to access that market. Now, as much as Florida isn't in the Caribbean, it has a very, very large Caribbean population. Yeah. Um, and there is quite a large uh, Caribbean community in and around Fort Lauderdale. So hopefully they'll be able to have that Caribbean feel. It's too good an opportunity to pass up. You yeah. have world-class 2020 cricket literally two and a half hours south of yeah. Florida. It would be madness not to try and make the best of it. Now, the reason this has been able to happen is because they've got rid of the god-awful United States of America Cricket Association, <laughs> who are... I mean, there's some really bad cricket administrators, mm. but you sack a, a 
administrative organisation in the world. And thankfully, they're going. The hilarious uh, Kenwin Williams, who was a former executive secretary, um, who was elected on the promise that he was going to send free iPads to each of the leagues that voted for him, mm. um, then had. Uh, if you've never, if you've never come across Kenwin Williams' Facebook meltdown. Um, when he took over the USACA Facebook page and started ranting against American cricket writer Peter Delapena, mm-hmm. accusing other people of posting on there of being his alter egos and saying that um, that, uh, that Peter Delapena was nothing but a blueger who would have no protection under the law. Um, and uh, a, a, I think I described it in the in the book that we wrote about associate cricket that had a chapter on American cricket that um, that was a, a, a four day long rant that lo- that didn't have any logic or the access to spell check um, you should definitely check it out but it's quite interesting the american side of things so yeah. we'll see no, we, we wish it the best there and yes absolutely there is a logic in there and uh, also i can see the side where people want to try and protect the, the caribbean-ness of things I, I confess one of my bugbears has been continually and i unaware that it's being uh, altered again th- this year. It's, it's the commentary team. Um, apart from the fact that... And, and the funny thing is, I love Danny Morrison. I think Danny Morrison, as a professional rah-rah pom-poms 2020 specialist, is brilliant. But when the others are... And we saw that with the IPL. Everybody else doing sort of Danny Morrison imitations. It's, it's dreadful. And there's so many guys in the CPL commentary box who have no idea who these players are. Guys like Darren Goff and... Isagua, they just you know, really don't know what or who they're watching. Um, I'm not going to mention any names because nowadays I spend a lot of time going in press boxes and I'll see people yeah. <laughs> and that would just be socially awkward. Yeah. But what I will say is that there is an absence of research and knowledge amongst certain professional companies commentators mm. now the problem is that people um are paid to go and be commentators because of who they are rather than what they know now that's just real that's just life isn't it so you, there's, a, there's a certain kudos that comes along with being a former professional cricketer and amongst those names that you've mentioned i don't necessarily think there's there's people there that i think are the absolute worst of the profession no, by any no, stretch really of the imagination yeah. but there isn't necessarily a prerequisite to turn up and be able to know who these players are uh, and it's difficult to have done that. I mean, I'd like to think going into, like I said, my third CPL of watching literally every game, mm. I've got a fairly good understanding of who the fringe players are. You know, yeah. if if, if uh, Kevin Cottoy of the St. Lucia Zooks was to walk past me, um, <laughs> I would know who he was. Uh, yeah? that, you're you're um, up on me there. That's that's I, I couldn't do that. Or uh, the the wonderfully named Keddy Les Boris. Or, yes. Um, Raheem Raheem Cornwall, who isn't, yeah, uh, isn't playing in this particular. The domestic players. The domestic players. So yeah, I mean, as time goes by, you get to know which ones are good and which ones are bad. So you know, if you've got this, and there's some, there's some very, uh, very talented cricketers Mm. that are kicking around. I mean, I was an example of it. I'm uh, Sheldon. Not Sheldon Cottrell, Shannon Gabriel yeah. has been doing very well in this try series that's just gone. Yeah. Now, he was bowling and he was bowling heat and really troubling both the Australian and South African batsmen. Now, I wasn't in the least bit surprised at that because I've seen him do very, very similar stuff for the St. Lucia Zooks. Mm. But if you've never seen him play, then you're not going to do that and you're not necessarily going to be in a situation where you have 
No, I think there's a prerequisite. There's a, there's a, there's a, I think if you're being paid to do something, you should do your best. I went and did commentary on Glamorgan versus Kent on the BBC the other night, right. and I spent two hours going through Kent's averages and scorecards and looking at pictures of the players and all the rest of it. But you'd um, do that anyway, wouldn't you, Peter? That, that's, that's, that's what you do um, you know, for your own personal enjoyment. Yeah, absolutely. If, um, if there, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't look at the averages of counties I don't follow. <laughs> he's, he's, he's if there's anyone in the world that can tell you they're 100% up on everything that goes on in county cricket, they're a liar. It's impossible. There's three different formats by 18 different teams. Uh, it's they, just they, well, they, They've either got a time machine or they don't sleep or both. Oh, just it's mental. I just find it so hard to keep up with all the goings on. <laughs> it's just like, ah! Um, so, yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I mean, I, I find I find Danny Morrison hugely entertaining because mm. what I like to do when I'm listening to Danny Morrison at three o'clock in the morning sat in my spare room <laughs> is is I like to write down sentences that he's said yeah. and then tweet just in sweet times. <laughs> because the, the, the cadence and the syntax that he puts together and the words that he puts together sound okay when he says them, but then when you go back can look at them again. <laughs> this just doesn't make any sense at all. I think you could do a book of it. You could just transcribe Danny Morrison's stints on commentary and just put them in a book. Well, and you, I, you, I think that would fly off shelves. Approaching Peter, you've uh, you know you've got the the uh, your book with uh, Alan Butcher done and dusted. Now you can you know move on to that. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I've got another book coming out in a couple of weeks, actually, which is exciting. Shall we plug it? Oh, please, Twenty Eight Days Day. Please do. I, I thought that was all done. I thought that was all done and prepared. Well, it's finished. It's it's it's, it's, it's being printed as we speak. Hopefully, I need to email the publishers about that, actually. And this yeah, this is your um, book about England's uh, one day international. Um... Yeah. What what I do is I write books about things that no one else is interested in. <laughs> so I wrote a book about associate cricket, and then I wrote a book about England in one day cricket. Um, yeah. I spoke to Nasser Hussein yesterday. I've not told anyone this story yet. It's a good story. So I bumped into Nasser Hussein in the uh, press box of the Bristol ODI, mm. and he was very helpful to me for the book and interviewed me. And what I, with the people that I saw yesterday that uh, helped me with interviews for the book, I made a point of going and saying, hello, I'm Peter Miller. Thank you very much for the time that you gave me. It's hugely appreciated yeah. to do it in person because I thought that was the right thing to do because as much as some people might not think on Twitter, I do try and be a reasonable human being. Um, and uh, I spoke to NASA and I showed him the front cover of the book, which has NASA on it. And he said, so you've written a book that's about us being terrible and you've put me on the front cover. Thanks for that. <laughs> so I was like, you know, you're welcome, Mr. Zeg. Um, it's very, it was very nice to, very nice to speak to him. He's a really good guy. But um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, maybe um, I don't know. I think one of the things, one of the things that Jared Kimber always says, you should get Kimber on the podcast. Actually, I've, I've never, never met or spoken to Jared Kimber. I would love to uh, dro- drop him a line for me and uh, uh, give me an introduction. I will, I will do that once Thank we're you. done. Um, uh, uh, yeah. So one of the things that Kimber always says that's the disadvantage with the current television commentary is that you often have yourself in a situation whereby the people that are in the commentary box know less than the people that are watching on the TV. I heard you say that recently, yeah. And that isn't in any way acceptable, and that does no. happen quite a lot. No, no. And, and, and that's where, uh, you know, some of the, the gorilla cricket and armchair, so, you know, test match sofa and things like that has been much more useful than, you know, with people that... <sighs> 
admittedly, some of and quite a lot of them are not very good uh, broadcasters. Uh, some of them go on to bigger and greater things, like Daniel Norcross, who's a absolutely <laughs> wonderful broadcaster. And and when I've heard you do some of those, Peter, you've been very good too. Um, but well, so, thanks some, very much. But, but, um, but some of some of them, I'm afraid, just aren't really listenable either, though. What the 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 alternative ones? Some or of the. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but the thing is, you've got good people and bad people at it. I think um, Test Match Sofa was fantastic. I tune in to Gorilla Cricket every now and then, and I enjoy it. There's yeah. some people on there that I really love listening to, and others that I don't. Yeah. I think the people that are there will probably tell you who they were as well, because um, I've not been particularly shy in telling them. <laughs> but um, I think um, Test Match Sofa, when Test Match Sofa existed, was phenomenal. Mm. Test Match Sofa was just such a breath of fresh air. Um, especially in its early iterations. When it went away from being drunk men shouting on the sofa and being <laughs> something slightly more professional, yeah. before it turned into being something that was quite... it was uh, Towards the end, it was uber-professional. They had a production assistant and a producer and um, you know, had a very, very set schedule and all the rest of it. And it was still had something about it. But there was a period, I think, in early 2013... No, sorry, kind of mid to late, 2012 to early 2013 where there was like six to eight months where genuinely I think it was some of the best cricket broadcasting that's ever done and yeah. that might sound a bit hyperbole but um, I was, was just fresh. sat there giggling yeah. away at myself at, at, you know and I think the team that they had together there where they had Max Benson they had Nigel Henderson who's been yeah. gone on and done um, he's doing talk sport commentary now he's a fantastic uh, cricket commentator Dan Norcross yeah. uh Katie Walker and her random uh, tangents <laughs> that she went off. Um, uh, uh, Gary Naylor, who I was at, uh, chatting with at Bristol ODI yesterday, those guys yeah. came together and just produced something absolutely brilliant. Um, and it, it was never going to be the same after Norcross left. Um, but I'm so delighted for him that he's doing Test Match Special. It's where he should be. It's where he belongs. Yeah. No, he's, 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 he's wonderful. And... Um... And some people have just got the, the, the voices for it as well, to be honest. Uh, as somebody who, who does a podcast myself um, and does it about the Caribbean, uh, I have you know, I have applied for uh, an NHS uh, grant to, uh, to to have a voice transplant and sound something like Ian Bishop or Michael Holding and give me just a little bit more authority. But I've heard nothing back yet. Well, you know, give it time. You need to sound like Reds, really. <laughs> I met Reds when I was... I spoke to Reds. I met Reds in person when I was in the Caribbean, and he's a lovely man. He is um, lovely man. Uh, yeah, he's yeah, he's great. I mean, and and sounds uh, and has a voice that's you know that's just absolutely brilliant to listen to. Um, yeah, uh, it was funny. I was speaking to him and I'd worked out who he was, and then I was chatting to him and he said to me, "Do you know who I am?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you're Rich Pereira." And he's like, oh, "Okay, okay." And I'm like, "But other people might not know who you are, but I do." Um, well, he got a mention. He got a mention on the um, on the cricket commentary the other day when the West Indies were playing South Africa. Right. Where they were talking about um, the golden age of cricket broadcasting in the Caribbean, and they mm. mentioned uh, the great late Tony Cozier and Reds working together mm. on the West Indies Broadcasting Corporation. Um, those were the days, etc. This yeah. has been very rambling, hasn't it, David? I'm well, sorry, it, 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 it's absolutely. Um, but it's how, it's how I like my podcast that uh, you know, start off with a, a subject matter, but then drift off into uh, into all sorts of. I, I, in my preview of the, the Tri-Series, I had a good chat with uh, South Africa's Ben Karpinski. And we basically put the whole world to rights. It's a, it's a shame that it's all unravelled since then. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's far more to uh, cricket than, than, than just the, the next thing on the horizon. Um, yes, yeah, very much so. But no, I mean, you know, it should be good. I think from a, 
I don't know, should we talk about the actual cricket? Who's going to I, win the I, cricket? I think so. Let's do that. So yeah, um, <laughs> I think um, there's. I mean, there's some great there's some great signings that they've had um, in there. Uh, I think um, uh, there will be one or two teams that will do better than others. Well, who um, who who are you backing, Peter? Or one, who do you think is going to win? And two, who do you support? I think the team. The hat that I walk to wear around is St. Lucia Zooks hat because yeah. the Zooks are the team that are the first team that I saw yeah. playing live. Um, so I think they're the team I want to do best. And you know the fact that they finished sixth, sixth, and fifth in the in the <laughs> additions to the CPL so far, or maybe it's sixth, fifth, and fifth, um, makes me like them all the more because they've never made a semi final. But um, I think uh, Trinidad and Tobago or Trinbago or whatever you want to call it are going to be the team to beat. To be yeah. honest, they've got Brendan McCollum who's been doing great. Uh, Dwayne Bravo has been absolutely fantastic um, for them so far. And I think they've made some very clever signings um, uh, from local players. So they've got Ronsford Beaton, who was great for Guyana the last couple of years, coming in for them. Um, Nikita Miller, who was at the Jamaica Talawas. Um, and, and, And I think both of those um, are going to have a, a, a very, very decent impact to kind of complement the existing squad that they already have. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, they're going to they're going to open the batting with Hashi Mamla and Brendan McCullum. Yeah. Which and you got Umar yeah. Akmal. And my my only thing about about them is that I worry when you look at the strength of their spin options: Sanon Orion, Nikita Miller, Suleiman Ben. Um, I hope that's not an indicator of the sort of pitches they're going to be playing on throughout. I love watching 2020 cricket on spinning tracks, but just not all of them. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the, the advantage that they're going to have, I mean, we'll see We'll see what uh, Trinidad turns up. Trinidad was pretty good last year. It tended to be a 140-150 kind of track for most uh, of the games, and it wasn't too tired. There was something in it for the spinners, but not to the yeah. extent that we had in Providence. Um <laughs> Which has just got to the point that it's just beyond ridiculous. I mean, it's it's more dusty than anything you would ever find in Islamabad. Um, <laughs> Hit a parched throat. Yes, it's uh, yeah, well, it, it's it's a, it's a sort of surface that uh, uh, India offered uh, and and the recent Test series with South Africa, really, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it's not. It's not the best. It's not best. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think they've got a decent side. There's a couple of players there that I've just not seen very much of before, and I'll be interested to see how they do. I don't think I've ever seen Hamza Tariq, who I believe is a West Indian player, despite mm. the fact that... Oh, no, Hamza Tariq, of course, is the Canadian guy that they've got coming along into their squad. That's um, right. Who I've not that's, seen. That's right. So that'll be, that'll be interesting to see. I don't think I've ever seen Yannick Karai, and I don't yeah. think I've ever seen... Um, uh, who was the other guy? Javon Sales, have you seen before? Um, the, yeah, I've seen Javon Sales and I think yeah. maybe I've seen Anton Devstic a couple of times yeah. but um, there's a couple of guys that we'll see I mean we'll see whether or not they get in there I think um, I don't know I don't think Barbados trainers were as strong this time as they were last time <clears throat> we'll have to see what happens yeah. um, uh, I think they're going to be having a lot of uh, they made a couple of really questionable decisions at the draft they wanted to sign a wicket keeper and they tried to get Dinesh Ramdin, but Dinesh Ramdin wasn't yeah. in the draft because he's a West Indies qualified player. Um, so they signed Nicholas Poran for mega bucks, yeah. um, which I was really surprised at. And 
because he didn't play at all last year through injury, but did quite well for Trinidad and Tobago two years ago, I believe. Mm. Um, so we'll see. Although he was one of the people that helped two years ago, helped Sunil Nilray to a um, a wicket maiden in the Super Over. <laughs> I think he swung and missed at four balls against uh, against the Guyana Amazon Warriors, as was. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I think you know. I mean, I, and I haven't even mentioned the fact that, um, of course, um, Sunil Nilray's come home to Trinidad yeah. to play for them as well. So then, as you said, their spin options are great. So we'll see what happens. Um, I think the Zooks are a better squad this year than they had last year. I think David Miller and Mornay Morkel are decent, are decent signings. Yeah. Um, we will we will see what happens from that point of view. Um, I think Andre Fletcher has been a bit of a disappointment opening the batting in this uh, well, tri-series that's just gone. Yeah. But him and Johnson Charles were fantastic last year. Yeah. Um, they've got Eddie Lee back, which is great because I thought he was fantastic until he missed the last game through injury. <coughs> Or the last few games through injury. So uh, yeah, well, we will, we will, we will see what happens. But I mean, because of course, last year what they decided to do with the Zooks was go pace because they were confident of that pitch in Beausjour, or mm. as it's called now, the Darren Sammy International Cricket Stadium, mm. um, being quite pacey. And their only real spin option was Eddie Lee. So uh, we'll see. I mean, I think there's uh, two years ago. When I was watching the games, I did this thing where I'd say who I thought was going to win the games from at the start. So I tweeted and said, the person I think is going to win the game is this. And basically, there was two and a half really good teams and the rest were pretty poor. Mm. So I think I worked out of the 33 games, so I predicted 26, right? Really? Yeah. Mm. Um, last year, that was significantly more difficult. And I think this year, it's more difficult again because you've had a bit of a moving around of, of people. Mm. Um, so, you know... Uh, You've got uh, Riot Emirate, who was great for um, Barbados the last couple of years, is now playing for, playing for Guyana, which makes a big difference for them with their seam bowling options. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. Um, there's a couple that... Uh, um, uh, the the uh, Jamaica Talawas are an interesting one because they're owned by a couple of brothers who own a restaurant chain in America. Um, I think they're of Indian descent. Right. Um, but they signed a couple of guys for their their team for pretty big money that I was really surprised about. I was like, bloody hell, I've literally never heard of that person. Mm. Um, and I like to think most of the people, you know, you know, like even if you've never seen them play, you've kind of heard the name. Um, there was a couple in the draft that got drafted. I don't think I'd ever heard of Yannick Karai before he got signed. No. Um, but they signed um, Rothman Powell, who is currently a combined camp colleges and campuses player and he's literally never played a game of 2020 cricket in his entire life and i was like bloody hell that that's a that's that's an interesting decision that they've made there but apparently locally they've been told that this guy can really hit a big long ball so we will we will see what happens from that point of view i think it's pretty close but i think uh trinidad I find it really difficult to call them Trinbago. It's faintly ridiculous, isn't it, Trinbago? <laughs> I, 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 all, all of the, uh, the, the the names for 2020 sides are always, I think, are, are faintly ridiculous. I, I tend to just call them Trinidad and Tobago. Guyana, uh, the, the, the rank outsiders? Yeah, you know, again, they've got a pretty good time. I think, you know, missing uh, the fact that they no longer have Sunil Nerine will be a big loss. Um, and I think uh, the loss of Ronson Beaton will be a big loss for them. Um, but they're, they've got they've got a pretty decent side. I was surprised that they signed Chris Lynn 
bearing in mind that he's going to be playing in Providence with the issues that he's had in the past with playing on spin and spinning pitches. But I don't know. I think Barbados are probably a bit stronger. Um, you know, you're looking through the side of who's going to who's going to make the make the team, and you're kind of relying on Chris Barnwell, who's a very capable cricketer, mm. to do well. And, Jason Mohammed and Asad Fudadin and I'm not sure whether or not they're guys that are going to win you a tournament no I mean they're they're quite they're quite strong on bowling uh, but uh, yeah it could be a lot of low scoring games there um, just finally uh, and when I say finally um, the final itself and semi-finals we still don't know where they're going to be Peter no we don't we don't <laughs> There's the joys of the joys of politics. I think there's two or three places that it's going to be. I thought for a while it was going to be Guyana mm. because they've got their independent celebrations. Is it like 50 years or something? That's this right. Year? Like them and Barbados both this year. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was going to be the case. The thing is, the politics of the CPL is fascinating because they're in essence dealing with six different nation states. And yeah. if you include the USA, that's seven. So there's seven different countries that you're dealing with. In fact, I think St. Kitts and Nevis, as much as they're St. Kitts and Nevis, are actually two different countries. So it's eight <laughs> countries. So dealing with the different <laughs> governments, um, and having the CPL final there represents quite a lot of money to the communities. So I think there's a lot of negotiation that goes on behind the scenes. Hopefully, we'll know where the finals are going to be before the tournament starts. Mm. That would be nice. But I would be... Shall I have it? Shall I do a bit of a prediction? I would suggest that the final will end up being in the same place that it was last time. Trinidad. Yeah. That, that does seem to be the word. I know that St Kitts has been uh, uh, considering bidding, but uh, no, I think it's probably not a case St. of... Kitts doesn't, St Kitts doesn't make any sense, does it, for anybody? As much as it'd be nice for the island. How many people... I mean, the population of St Kitts is about 40,000 people. Um you know, and the stadium's tiny. Warner Park is a postage stamp. Yeah, I mean, you know, that would be that would be my suggestion. But um, whether or not it ends up being Trinidad or not, I don't know. Mm. But certainly, I would suggest that that would be the most likely case. I think it would be a surprise if it wasn't. Now, I think that's what we've got to look forward to, and uh, so be it. You know, and. Um, you know, but obviously the, the debate has been about how much, not not as much as where, but but how much. It's um, something that just reading between the lines, I'm just a little bit uneasy that there might still be some financial um, challenges currently and on the horizon for the CPL. Um, I think most of us love the tournament, enjoy watching it, and uh, catching as much of it as we we can. Um, but I'm not going to take it for granted that it's going to still be there in the form it is a couple of years from now. Yes, well, we'll see. Um, I don't think there's any massive moves for expansion. I think it'll end up being, you know, a 16 tournament for a while yet. Um, mm. And I think the islands are pretty much secure in terms of being what they are at the moment, especially with St Kitts and Nevis now being an owned franchise. There's only one franchise left that doesn't have a franchisee, and that's St Lucia. Yeah. So... There's outside interest in keeping the tournament as it is. I think as a 16 tournament, it works quite well. Um, uh, I would say for the next couple of years, it's going to look pretty much as it looks now. Um, but that's not to say that it couldn't be an 18 tournament at some point in the future. What would be really exciting is if you had a Florida franchise. Oh, I hope so. I hope it sort of stays strong. I just worry that they're, they're still living a, a form of hand-to-mouth existence. 
Well, I mean, that's just the nature of the economy in the Caribbean, I think. There's just not a huge amount of money kicking around, and um, they need to be quite careful in that regard. Um, I think Donoghue was telling me in February that it's not profitable yet, but it's pretty close to being profitable. Mm. So they're pretty close to breaking even. Um, which, if you think from a cricket tournament point of view, as the IPL isn't doing that, that's not bad going, is it? No, 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 no that's a fair comment. And um, as you said earlier, if there were the opportunity to get even you know, second-tier Indian players to, to come into the tournament, that would open up a whole new TV opportunities. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're thoroughly in agreement. Uh, I think we'll end it there then, Peter. Excellent. Cheers, David. Take care. <laughs> this has been uh, The Willow in the Windies, the Caribbean Cricket Podcast with me, David Om, and I've been so pleased to have been joined by Peter Miller, the cricket geek, uh, who unfortunately won't be going off to watch the CPL this year in person in the Caribbean, but will be watching it from his bedroom. <laughs>